All right, and so now we're going to continue with the series that I've been involved with, Abraham, the life of Abraham. This is part four. And uh, in this message, we're going to concentrate on three chapters. We're not going to read the chapters. You can read them at home at your convenience. It's Genesis 14, 15, and 16. Um, And one of the things that I have been focusing on in this message is the fact that as great a man as Abraham was, here is the man upon which the fact, the foundation of the Jewish faith will be laid. He will be within the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. He is referred to as the friend of God. And despite all of that, we are going to see his warts. We're going to see his great triumphs, and yet we're going to see his great failures. And one of the things that I think you can take cognizance of is this. This helps to prove that the Bible is valid. And I say that because what other book would write about its heroes and then paint his heroes with all kinds of warts? You understand that? No book would do that paint their heroes with warts. But you see that with the Bible. And so here we learn about Abraham, this great patriarch, and yet we're going to see time and again, while we see great success and God lifting him up, yet we're going to see that he fails. And what that does is it brings hope to us. It brings hope to us because we recognize that that's our life. Just like he fails, uh, periodically we fail, and yet God loves him, and God loves him, and God loves us the same way. And so here's the point. It's natural to have doubts in this world. And it was clear that Abraham had doubts. He had been promised for 25 years from God that he would have an heir. And yet as he approaches the age of 100, he still doesn't have an heir. Can you imagine? And somehow these doubts began to be greater and greater and enter his life in so many ways. And yet God continued to bless and protect him. This is important. Even though Abraham had doubts, he still worshiped God. He built altars to God. He had faith in God, yet he did have his share of of doubts. And so you know that we studied that he and Lot separated. Lot went to the greener, more productive land, uh, and God continued to promise Abraham that he would bless Abraham, that all of the land would be his, irrespective of what Lot chose. It made no difference whatsoever. And so within a short period of time, we find in Scripture that Lot is taken captive by a group of Mesopotamian kings. And so Abraham finds out about this. And so Abraham assembles an army of his men, over 300 men he assembled, and he puts these men out and he goes after the kings, these kings that had uh, arrested Lot made him captive, and he goes out, and Abraham defeats this powerful Mesopotamian alliance. Now, this demonstrates, again, what kind of man Abraham was. This was a mighty man, a multi-talented man. And so now he has defeated these kings. And the lesson here now for us is this. We are at our most vulnerable point when we have achieved great success. I know that sounds unusual, isn't it? You, know, you might really think, well, I'm most vulnerable when I'm dragging down in the bottom of failure, all right? And the reason that that's not the case is that when you're at the bottom of failure, you're looking up and you're saying, God, help me. I need help. I can't go through life like this. I'm a failure. But you see, when you have success, when you become celebrated, and that's what happened here, when you're lifted up, what happens? Oh, yes. 
I'm smart. Oh, yes, I'm talented. Oh, look at me. Look what I can achieve. Look what I have done. Me, me, I, I. Do you remember when Satan said that? It's exactly the words of Satan, and you see that. That's when we are at our most vulnerable. And God is warning us about this, even as he warned Abraham about it. And so when this happens, we begin to focus on ourselves. And so I want you to turn to Genesis 14. As we look to the example of the kings here, approaching Abraham after this victory and really saluting him. Genesis 14, verses 17 to 24. After Abraham returned from defeating Keterlomaiar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. What a great passage this is. As you see Melchizedek, of uh, coming and blessing Abraham and giving incredible words to Abraham. And I love the prayer of Melchizedek. And you know, Melchizedek here uh, is referred to as a high priest. We don't hear anything more about Melchizedek. We hear him here, and then effectively he walks away. We don't know anything about him. And many theologians believe that Melchizedek was a theophany, meaning a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ. Uh, because when we read in Hebrews, and we can read that in Hebrews about him, uh, and that refers to Hebrews chapter 7. Why don't you turn to that? Because it's important that we tie this up. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Then Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, life like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Who does that sound like? All right. It sure sounds a lot like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what you see here is God through Melchizedek, is reminding Abraham of the fact that everything you are, everything you have achieved, everything that you will achieve comes from God. And that's the message, first of all, for you today. I want you to recognize that, that everything that God has done for you, all the blessings in your life, all of the protection in your life, whatever affluence and protection he has given you, God has given you. It's not because you're so smart or so talented or so hardworking because all of those things come to us because God allows them to come to us. 
And when we begin to get to the point where we think me, me, I, I, we walk away from God, we lose the focus of God and instead the focus comes on us. And so you see this here. And you see that Melchizedek actually gives communion uh, to Abraham, gives communion. And as a result of this, you see for the first time the expression tithe, tithe. And Abraham gives a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. All right, And you understand the nature of the tithe beginning to come about where we recognize that God is entitled. This is because it's God's property. And as I always tell you, don't come to me and say, do I give God the net or the gross on my tithes? Don't do that. All right. Don't don't do that. All right. You sound like an accountant. All right. Really. What you need to say is it's all his. How much of his do I give back to him? That's the better expression. And you don't need me to tell you that. You pray and God will reveal this to you. And so you see this God reminding Abraham that who that who he is. And what his place is. And Abraham accepts it. This is how great this man is. He's a man of faith. He bows before the throne of God and recognizing, yes, Lord, you're right. I don't take a shoe latch and I won't take a thong off a sandal from these kings because I am indebted to you. You are my king. I worship you. And I want you to turn, if you would, as you understand this more, to look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Is that a verse, series of verses that's appropriate for this week? Is that appropriate for this week? That's the God who you worship who will protect you, who will surround you with his protection in every possible way. And so we walk in faith with God. We walk in faith every step of our lives. And we recognize that as we do this walk, he is with us. And everything that he gives us uh, is because he loves us and blesses us and protects him. Now, shortly after this great moment, this great moment, Abraham will undergo another Ritual covenant sacrifice found in Genesis 15, uh, verse 17. And in this passage, God will put Abraham in a deep sleep. Uh, And when he does this, God will again make a covenant promise of what he intends to do for Abraham. And if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 15, verse 17. And in these verses, we see as follows. When, when, uh, When the sun had set... And darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of meat. And by the way, he didn't bring the torch out. This was God. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigasites, and the Jebusites. Easy for you to say. (laughs) But after he pronounces all these lands, he promises to give Abraham all of these lands. And if I had a map and I showed you these territories, what you would see would be that this territory 
encompassed most, most of what we call current day Iran and Iraq. How about that? That's the promise of God to Abraham. And, and I want you to recognize how God saw Abraham's people and what he would do uh, for Abraham's people. Um, and, and if you turn uh, to verse 13 in that same chapter, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What does it mean? It means that God is promising him that the Jewish people will be taken into Egypt for 400 years. Then they will come out. They won't come out before that because God is patiently waiting for the Amorites to repent. He waits for repentance. And when repentance doesn't come, then God intervenes. And as you know from your reading of scripture that the Amorites would effectively uh, be destroyed and defeated by the Jewish people. Uh, and so you see this. And so what a great passage this is as we understand how great God is. Uh, and so there it is, Abraham again, being receiving the blessings of God, rising up to show us how God can bless this great man and how he serves God. And so you would say, John, this is a great story. Can it end here? No, can't end there. Because Abraham still has years to live. He has miles to walk in his faith walk. And so now we're going to see clay feet again. We're going to see Abraham at a, at a point in which he will fall short of the glory of God. And you have your Bibles. Look at Genesis chapter 16. Uh, and look, if you would, at verses 1 to 6. Now, Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now let's just stop right here. All right, let's just stop right here. Does this sound like a good plan? This sound like a plan that's got got good feet. It's going to work out. You know what? God's kind of dragging his feet. God doesn't realize you're getting to be 100. I'm getting to be 90. God can't do anything now. So we have to do it. God is failing. And so we have to step up and do it. Me, me, I, I. Do you see what happens when you stop relying on God? All right. Now, if Abraham had stayed consistent with God, the next verse should say, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? But my version of the Bible doesn't say that, all right? And I imagine part of the problem is, you know, he's married to Sarah, all right? He's got to promote family unity. And so, uh, uh, and so here's what happens next. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Oh, dear brother, you are the man who God has blessed and called the patriarch of the Jewish people, the man through whom the lineage of Jesus Christ will go. And you are agreeing? You are agreeing to this plan? Don't you realize that this is violating the will of God and no good can come from it? So after, verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she 
conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, is that a shock? All right. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. This falls under the category of no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) You are responsible. Look what you have done. How dare you? You are responsible. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. How many times do we fall into the same trap? How many bad decisions have you made in your life when you've separated yourself from God and thought you were smarter and that God didn't understand what your needs were and only you knew what your needs were and instead you decide, I will take this step. I'll make this decision. God knows my heart and yet you see what happens. This decision winds up being volcanic and it's so bad that she will absolutely have to leave the camp, leave the camp even though she's pregnant, be forced to leave because Sarah forced her to leave. And so that's a sin. This poor woman is being mistreated. She's being mistreated. And Abraham and Sarah are responsible for that. And, And what I want you to recognize is that even the greatest of people, even those people who are called with the greatest spiritual gifts, are still sinners standing before the throne of God. Don't ever think that any human being is so great that they stand outside the throne of God in perfection. There's nobody that's perfect. None of us. And so you see this with Abraham in every way. Uh, And Romans 3 tells us that. And Romans 3 also tells us that it's through faith alone that we are saved. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. Please turn to that as you open your Bibles. Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand being unpunished. What a great verse that is. And so you recognize how great God is and how we're all sinners. And so when you see Abraham falling like this, what does it say about our own lives and about our own failures? and about how God looks and sees this. He loves us, he cares for us. He wants us to stay with him and to walk with him and not to stray off the path and to follow his will in every way because what happens when we walk away from God, there are judgments in our life. And what were the judgments in the life of Abraham? Well, Ishmael is born, all right? And Ishmael is born and as a result of that, Ishmael will eventually become the father of the Arab nations. How about that? Think about all of the multitude of generation of Jewish people and their lives being affected by Arab peoples and all of it as a result of the fact that Abram had this dalliance with with Hagar. And all of that could have been prevented if instead he waited on God, waited for the promise 
God had done everything to indicate his faithfulness, but you see the human condition. We still have feet of clay. We walk in failure. We walk in sin. We fall every single day. Uh, and, and so as, as Hagar is walking out of the camp and she's in wilderness, she's in the wilderness uh, and, and she's brokenhearted. She has no place to go. She has no family. She's in this pregnant state uh, effectively removed from the camp by Abraham and his wife. God intervenes. He intervenes because God hates injustice. He hates injustice. And so God intervenes. And if you would turn to Genesis 16, verses 7 to 10, you'll see God speaking here to her. And he says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to account. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you now are with a child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brother. And so she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And so you see God seeing her and caring for her and loving her. But look what he says, go back and submit to your mistress. Meaning what? In order to receive the blessings of God, what must we do? Repent. Write it in big capital letters. Put it on your refrigerator every day of your life. Repent. And right underneath it, write submit. Because you cannot be blessed in this life. You cannot get the blessings of God unless you repent, unless you submit, unless you say to God, forgive me, Father. Forgive me for the sins I've committed. Forgive me for the missteps that I have done. Yes, you've blessed me, Lord, and yet I've walked away so many times. Lord, forgive me. And that is the essence of the Christian life. Every single day, walking in repentance. Every day when you get up, asking God to forgive you, to forgive you and wash you. Because that's the only way we can have successful Christian lives. And so we recognize that God blesses us not because we are good to the law. We fail under the law. None of us can live under the law, but we live by faith alone, by faith alone, walking with God, lifting him up and asking him to wash us and protect us and to save us in every way. Uh, and what happens here is we recognize that God loved Abraham so much, so much that even with these missteps, God would give him Isaac, his own son, he would give it to him and he would forgive Abraham from these mistakes. Uh, and yet those errors would still come back to, to haunt Abraham at a later date, which we'll talk about. But one of the promises that God made to Abraham is that Jesus would come through his very lineage. If you would turn to Galatians chapter three, again, you see the glory of God and his love as it's expressed to Abraham even in light of these fav um, 
failings, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. And this is Paul speaking. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For the inheritance depends on the law. If the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depending on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. And there it is. And so the law came later, 430 years later, 430 years after God made the promise, as God lifted Abraham up. And so the law had nothing to do with the promise of Jesus Christ and the promise of redemption through faith and the promise of grace because God recognized that none of us could live under the law. Certainly Abraham couldn't. And if Abraham couldn't, you could, you could. How absurd, really, to think that. And that's why God gives us these stories. That's why God writes about his great patriarchs, demonstrating that he calls them by grace to walk with him. He doesn't call them because they're great human beings. He calls them because they have faith and walk in faith and repent on a daily basis, and worships him on a daily basis. And whenever he would go, he would build altars to God. That's why God honored Abraham. And that's why 2,000 years later, we sit here and study his life. Not because it's a life of perfection, because it represents a life devoted to God with the ups and downs that we all suffer every day of our lives. That's what this is about. God has called you to walk with him. God has called you to be an example. God has called you to carry the cross of Christ to the world and recognizing you're not perfect because that's what church is about. That's why we come. That's why we worship. That's why we ask God to forgive us. That's what it's about. That's what it is. And so we see the warts so clearly of these great leaders. And we recognize that God is speaking to us thousands of years later and elevating our own lives. And so as you go through the hard times, as you find yourself being resentful and seeking revenge, and sometimes maybe even being filled with hate and maybe even filled with anger, I want you to recognize, yes, you have clay feet. And God recognizes your feet. Uh, and just like he recognized the feet of Abraham, he doesn't quit. God doesn't quit. God doesn't say, you're done, you're finished, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Instead, he lifts you up. He affirms you. He loves you. He calls you to greater service in every way. And that's the call of our lives. And I feel this week especially so, I feel that for every Christian who is suffering right now over the issues of this past week, looking down and feeling heartbroken over an election, being heartbroken because the institutions that we looked at have failed us, because elections have failed us, because political leaders have failed us, because even the country in many ways has failed us, that God has not failed us. God lifts you up. 
I want you to recognize this. God has not failed you. He has not failed you. If anything, he's telling you right now, he's putting a flag in the ground and telling you to stand tall. This is our time. As the next couple of years get harder, guess what? God is expecting us to lift the flag of salvation to a world that desperately needs it. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the example of Abraham in our lives, Father, as we see how this great patriarch serves you. And yet even as he serves you in great faith, he has feet of clay, Father. And so it brings us back to a remembrance of our own lives and our own failures. And so, Father, we recommit ourselves today in an act of repentance and submission, Father, as we ask you to lift us up, to give us strength, to help us, Father, to walk with you, especially so in these next difficult years, Lord, to remind us of what our call is in life. It's to serve you and to be a memory to the world who is lost of what you have done. And that is our call. Father, be with our people, bless our people, protect them, lift them up and affirm them, especially so during these times. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.